I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing the Chinese surveillance balloon that entered U.S. airspace in late January and early February. What exactly happened, and what are the major implications for U.S.-China relations moving forward? Here to discuss this and more is Bonnie Glazer, Managing Director of the German Marshall Fund's Indo-Pacific Program. She is also a non-resident fellow with the Lowy Institute in Sydney, Australia, and a senior associate with the Pacific Forum. Bonnie is also the host of the China Global Podcast. Bonnie was previously director of GMF's Asia Program and senior advisor for Asia, and the director of the China Power Project at CSIS. Bonnie, thanks for being with us here today. I've been looking for、uh, the best opportunity to bring you on as a guest, and I thought this would be a consequential moment because it would be right after Secretary Blinken's trip to China. But it's still very important in the U.S.-China relationship. So thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. It's a privilege to be on the China Power podcast. Thank you. So I'd like to start today's discussion by going focusing on the more narrow issue of the balloon first, and then talk unpacking that to talk about what what does it mean that Secretary Blinken did not go to China this time, and what are the large implications for U.S.-China relations. So just a little bit on the background of the balloon, particularly for those who might not be following the story as closely as us. Bon, could you give us a brief recap of what happened with the Chinese balloon? Why is everyone focusing on it? Sure. Well, I think this started on January twenty eighth, although it wasn't made public until a few days later. Secretary of State Blinken was scheduled to travel to Beijing that weekend, and on the twenty eighth, a high altitude surveillance balloon, which was carrying a very large payload, it was described. As being the size of three coach buses, entered the U.S. air defense identification zone, and that was north of the、uh, Aleutian Islands. And it moved eastward over Alaska and Canada, and then over the continental United States. And there was a U.S. citizen in Montana who apparently looked up and saw this balloon and took some、uh, film footage of it and put it on YouTube, and then it was in a local newspaper. In Montana, and I believe it was shortly after that that it was made public. So U.S. officials claim that the balloon entered U.S. territorial airspace,、um, and that would be under sixty thousand feet, and that it loitered over very sensitive U.S. military installations in Montana. And of course, there's a large number of ICBM silos that we have、uh, in Montana. And U.S. officials said that the operation was a violation of U.S. sovereignty and international law. President Biden apparently said he wanted to shoot it down immediately. He asked、uh, the military for their recommendations and was told that he should wait until it was over the Atlantic Ocean because there was a risk of harm to property and potentially to citizens. And then, of course, Blinken's planned trip was、uh, postponed. And the operation to recover debris is still underway.、Uh, apparently, there's some rough seas, and so it's going to take weeks to get all of this stuff off the ocean floor, even though it's only about 50 feet deep. So, as you mentioned, the U.S. government views this as a, a surveillance balloon, but the Chinese government has stressed that this is a weather balloon. What do you think about these competing narratives or assessments of the balloon? 
Well, I think it would be highly unlikely for uh, the payload to have been that large and apparently that heavy if it was really just a weather balloon. But the United States has not yet released uh, declassified information that would prove that it wasn't a weather balloon, although they have made some statements as to what they have identified. Uh, apparently, as the balloon was flying across the United States, the U.S. sent uh, YouTube planes to take pictures of the balloon and determined that it had a signals intelligence array. And of course, that means that it was capable of eavesdropping on phone calls and other kinds of communications. It had multiple antennas and other equipment capable of geolocating communications, and it was designed to upload sensitive information and solar panels uh, powered that capability. So they also identified that the manufacturer of the balloon is connected to the PLA. And so I think that's another piece of information. And then apparently we discovered and were told uh, that the balloon wasn't an isolated incident, that the Chinese have developed a fleet of these balloons, that this program uh, was launched over three years ago. The Chinese have been flying these over five continents. And reportedly, many of these flights have taken place previously over sensitive U.S. military installations, and not only um, in the United States, but also in our allied countries. So uh, we have now detected that they've flown over Japan, over the Philippines, and previously over Hawaii and Guam. Now, apparently, they had not previously crossed the entire United States. So sort of a question mark as to whether or not the big Arctic blast blew the balloon out of its route to some extent. And one official said that that's a possibility. And then that the Chinese became opportunistic that they used the opportunity created by the fact that it was blown off course to hover over these military installations in Montana. But that's only one theory. I think that the U.S. is still digging into the information that they have, and hopefully more will be released going forward. But the Chinese, I think, uh, don't have very firm ground to stand on when they claim that it's a weather balloon. I think that the China, that China's interests would have been better served if they had said initially that this area of, of what we call near space, below outer space and above the territorial airspace, really doesn't have clear international law that guides the use of it. And perhaps China could have said, you know, yes, we were flying some uh, balloon to collect information and our two countries and other countries that use near space should sit down and discuss the possibilities of rules and laws that would guide usage of that space. But that's not what the Chinese did. And I think that the fact that what they told the United States and the world was false ended up provoking the U.S. further to then take a tougher stance, which then ended up, I think it's a tit for tat spiraling out of control. And we're now not in a good place in the U.S.-China relationship, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> so Bonnie, you mentioned some of the specific characteristics of the balloon, including that it has solar panels, uh, multiple antennas, but why would China want to use a balloon when it has other capabilities for performing surveillance, such as the use of satellites? What, what makes a surveillance balloon more advantageous than these other means? 
Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, one thing uh, is that balloons are really hard to pick up on radar. And apparently there has been a gap in U.S. ability to detect them, which has now been addressed. So we've addressed our radars and our and our, our sensors. We've adjusted, I should say, we adjusted our radar and sensors to be more sensitive. So they are now picking up more things in U.S. airspace. But more importantly, as I mentioned earlier, the reason why this balloon had a signals intelligence array is that that is something that satellites cannot do. Satellites are very good at uh, imagery, so they can take good uh, photography of things on the ground. So I think that's one reason is that they don't uh, have electronic signals capability, but these balloons apparently do. And we don't yet know what they were listening to, but they can listen to cell phones. They can listen to sensitive military communications. The balloons are also maneuverable, so they can be directed over sensitive military sites. They can loiter for a longer period of time, which satellites uh, apparently can't do. But I think that the main purpose here was likely collecting communications, not uh, imagery. And once, of course, all the debris is collected, then the U.S. may be able to ascertain what kind of signals were being uh, intercepted. So eventually there will be more information known. Thank you. So I believe last week, uh, Admiral Harris, in his testimony to the House Armed Services Committee, had mentioned that he believed that even it, when the balloon was transversing continental United States, we would be able to block its emission of information beyond the United States. That was my understanding. Do you have a sense of what are we able to control when it was flying over the continental United States? Well, there's one could speculate as to what the United States was able to do. It was reported that as soon as the decision was made to not shoot it down, that there were various steps taken to prevent China from intercepting sensitive military communications. Now, perhaps that protection was done on the ground, or perhaps the United States could have taken out the balloon's ability to collect information. And I don't rule that out. And that's something we may never know. But the United States could have disabled some ability of that the balloon had to collect information if they felt that there was a risk of it being able to intercept something that would be damaging to U.S. interests. Thank you. Now I want to transition to the large implications of Secretary Blinken's trip, as well as U.S.-China relations. As we all know, Secretary Blinken was slated to travel to China then, and then the news of the balloon prompted Secretary Blinken to postpone his trip. Why would this trip have been significant, and how do we understand the decision to postpone? What does that mean for U.S.-China relations? When President Biden and Xi Jinping met on the margins of the G20 in uh, November, that was in Bali, they had a discussion which, according to both the U.S. and Chinese readouts, appeared to reach an understanding that neither country's interests are served by uh, continued deterioration of the relationship. The United States was using the phrase, we want to put a floor under the relationship. I believe Chinese officials were saying they wanted to put a framework around the relationship. Xi Jinping had proposed that the 
two uh, leaders instruct their senior officials to uh, get together and talk about guiding principles uh, for the relationship. And that took place in December when uh, Dan Crittenbrink, our Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia, and Laura Rosenberger, our Senior Director for uh, China and Taiwan at the National Security Council, uh, went to Langfang and met with China's Vice Minister, CFO. And the next step in that process was the visit by Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State Blinken, to China. And he did have an extensive agenda for his trip. Of course, he wanted to talk about ways that we could manage our competition, which Biden administration officials have said from the beginning that they don't want competition to veer into conflict. They want to establish guardrails, risk reduction measures. And uh, he wanted to launch a sustained dialogue, more sustained dialogue, not only on those issues, but others with China, because dialogue has been very episodic. He also wanted to talk about several security issues, North Korea, Russia and its invasion of Ukraine, and China's relationship with Russia and Iran. All of those were on his agenda. And then the various issues relating to potential cooperation. This is something we're having difficulty with the Chinese. They are cherry picking what they want to cooperate on with the United States. So uh, with the COVID uh, outbreak, they have been a little bit more forward leaning on working with the U.S. on global health, but they haven't been forthcoming on things like counter narcotics, including fentanyl. They really have not done very much on uh, climate. And so he really did want to talk about how we expand uh, cooperation. And then, of course, there's the bilateral issues that we always talk about with the Chinese. There are at least four U.S. citizens who are subject to exit bans in China that the U.S. government is trying to get out. And my understanding from Secretary Blinken's staff is that he wanted to promote more people to people exchanges. So visas for our citizens to go back and forth uh, was also on the agenda. So ultimately, he had this very, very rich agenda. And I think that it's clear that the balloon incident would have crowded out that agenda and would have made it very difficult to achieve any objectives. Another factor, of course, is that the balloon may have still been flying over the United States while he was in Beijing. And I would say that's not very good optics. And Domestic politics was clearly a factor. So we saw very early in this episode growing pressure from Republicans in Congress saying that President Biden should have shot this balloon down on day one of as soon as it was uh, identified. And President Biden didn't want to appear uh, soft on China. And then, you know, I think finally, if Blinken had gone, it could have signaled that the balloon episode was really a minor incident which it wasn't. It is fair to say that China wants to set it aside, move on. It's highly unusual that the Chinese in their first public statement on this issue said that they regretted that the balloon had sailed into uh, U.S. airspace and that it was due to force majeure, in other words, a legal term uh, for something that is beyond one's control. And so I think, yes, the Chinese did want to sort of set it aside, downplay it and, and move on. Uh, but I think the Biden administration rightfully wanted to first determine and assess China's intentions in sending the balloon 
over the United States. And to do that, it needed more time. So I think that it made the right decision to postpone the visit. The question now is, what has to happen to get that visit rescheduled? And I think that's really going to be difficult, not impossible, but it's not going to happen immediately. So two questions, Bonnie. The first one is you mentioned Biden administration was wanted to assess PRC intentions when it came to the balloon. When you look at the balloon and how it sort of went into continental United States, what did you assess as Chinese intentions? What was China trying to do at this particular point? Well, obviously, I don't have access to a lot of information on this. So, you know, pure speculation. I do think that the Chinese have been caught with their hand in the cookie jar, as they say, that the Chinese launched uh, several years ago this very large balloon program, which apparently has uh, involved five continents and over 40 countries. The Chinese likely are collecting information that they can use potentially apparently to make their uh, missiles more accurate. It's quite interesting that it's now being revealed by the government in Taiwan uh, that they've had a large number of balloons that have flown over uh, northern Taiwan. And uh, so they are now sharing this information. Previously, they had not made that public. So I think that the Chinese had military objectives, even whether research can have military implications. Uh, And so I think that the Chinese really believed because they had conducted this previously, not only over other countries, but also over the United States. They believed that the United States would not detect it or would not reveal this publicly. And they were probably surprised that it really has sort of blown up into this major incident. Uh, So based on their past practice, they didn't see any response. You know, why not push the envelope, fly further over the United States? Still a question mark as to whether there was any Arctic blast that pushed it further into the United States. I mean, it's hard to believe that they went over 3000 miles across the United States unintentionally. That's a really good point. That's a that's a lot of miles for a balloon to travel unintentionally, and particularly given what you said, uh, Bonnie, that the balloon could be propelled or at least maneuvered to some extent by the Chinese remotely. Uh, the, the second question I had for you is that um, you had mentioned that what has to happen to get that visit rescheduled. So from your perspective, when you look at uh, U.S.-China relations moving forward, do you see the United States or China as asking for any specific actions by the other side as sort of the preconditions for getting the visit back on track? Well, I hesitate to use the term preconditions, and I don't know if the U.S. government is using that term, but I think it's clear that the Biden administration is telling China that they should not fly balloons over the United States or really anywhere in other countries in their territorial airspace. So we have told them, don't do this again. And if we are asking China to give us a pledge that they will not, that could create potential problems. Uh, China certainly doesn't want to look weak, even internally. It's not only a question as to whether it would make such a a promise publicly, but even I think domestically, that would be a problem within the elite and uh, within the military. 
And there could be other things that that the U.S. Uh, is is asking for. Perhaps we are asking for an admission that the Chinese, in fact, were spying. I don't know that for a fact. But again, I think that's something that if we are asking that, then that would be difficult for China as well. But most importantly is I think we need to have uh, enough information about this episode to know what happened, to let the Chinese know whatever information we decide to share with them, because we don't want to, of course, put at risk sources and methods, and then get some explanation from China that's acceptable to us before we can move on. And I think that that means at least maybe a month until after the two meetings, the Lianghui in in China, before we start considering actually rescheduling this visit by Tony Blinken. And that means if you look at the political calendar, uh, that the window is is really quite narrow for beginning to make progress on some of these issues that I talked about earlier that Secretary of State Blinken wanted to discuss with the Chinese. If I could follow up on that, this very narrow window for which he might be able to go again, if we could just take a step back from that, what do you see as the large implications of the fact that this trip was postponed? Do you see relations changing significantly in the absence or or at least a temporary postponement of this visit? And if he is thinking about going after the two sessions, so after probably mid-March, that window seems to start colliding into what we're hearing now of when different congressional leaders are thinking of going to Taiwan. Just wanted to get your thoughts on sort of this whole dynamic of what's happening. What does that mean for our calendar that it's postponed? And what does that mean for how you see U.S.-China relations? As you mentioned, there are several congressional delegations that are planning to go to Taiwan of uh, the most important of which would be by the new uh, Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. And he has not said publicly whether he is going to go soon, but he did say when he was running for the position of Speaker that he would go to Taiwan if he were elected Speaker. There are some discussions now about whether or not he will go uh, sooner or later, or maybe even meet. President Tsai Ing-wen when she transits through the United States. Um, I don't know whether that would be a a near-term step and then he would visit later or that would be a substitute for such a, a, a visit to Taiwan. But we do know that the chairman of that House Foreign Relations Committee, uh, Representative McCall, is going to Taiwan. And China has been reacting very strongly uh, to many U.S. steps uh, regarding Taiwan. Uh, the last one, in fact, was the U.S. made an arms sale. It was announced uh, at the end of last year. And our Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, had met with his counterpart, Wei Feng He, in Cambodia on the margins of the ADMM+. And there had been a discussion about resuming some of the dialogues that the Chinese had put on hold after Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan last August. And as soon as that arms sale was announced, the Chinese basically said, um, sorry, we're not ready yet to talk about resuming these dialogues. So uh, they are reacting, I think, uh, to everything that the United States does on, on Taiwan, and they may well react strongly even 
to a visit by a delegation from Congress led by Representative McCall because they don't want to signal that if they don't react strongly, that maybe they wouldn't react strongly to a visit by Kevin McCarthy. So there's this incentive, I think, that China has to react strongly to everything we do regarding Taiwan in order to signal to us that this is, as they say, the core of China's core interests. But, you know, relations were very fragile prior to this episode. You know, there was no certainty that the Biden administration was going to achieve its objectives of putting a floor under the relationship. And I think that's important to note. This was going to be a difficult uphill struggle in any case. But it is important to note that understandings between top leaders are important that Biden and Xi Jinping had agreed that they should stabilize the relationship. And it is likely that Xi Jinping will visit the United States in November. The United States is hosting the APEC meeting. They could also meet in September at the G20 in uh, New Delhi. And so I think that there's still an interest on both sides to try to get the relationship on some kind of a track that is a little bit more constructive, but that will take time. And so you mentioned the possibility of President Biden potentially meeting Xi Jinping at least in two different occasions in September and November. Do you see at all that the postponement of Secretary Blinken's visit as impacting either of those potential meetings? It seems like we still have some time. I agree. We definitely have time. It may affect the nature of the meeting rather than whether the meeting takes place itself. So is this going to be an hour long meeting in San Francisco, which is where APEC will take place, a three hour long meeting? Is there an interest in doing something like President Obama did, which was to go to Sunnylands and have a a day plus long strategic conversation? That I think is unlikely. The Chinese, at least some of them, have been talking about a summit. Um, that could mean many things, uh, you know, ranging from, again, a sort of short meeting between the two presidents to something that is in, includes a Xi Jinping visit to Washington, D.C. with a state dinner. Now, you and I know that's not, not very likely, but a summit can, uh, can come in, in many forms. And some Chinese are talking about this because I think the optics would be good for China. It would signal that Xi Jinping can manage the U.S.-China relationship. And I think he has been criticized to some extent for several things internally. Of course, mishandling COVID-19 and the economy might be at the top of that list, but also uh, the relationship with the United States and, and, and even other countries. So he would like to signal that he can handle this most important relationship that China has. Great. Thank you. So, Bonnie, in the interest of time, let me just ask you one final question to wrap up this podcast. So we've explored how the Chinese surveillance boom caused uh, Secretary Blinken to postpone his trip to China, as well as some of the implications of what postponing that trip means. As we look forward, is there a way that we can further insulate U.S.-China engagement from these types of disruptions? Because my main concern is moving forward, given the competitive nature of the relationship and the fact that competition continues to intensify, we'll likely see more and more of these bloom-like incidents. If trips or engagements are postponed or canceled, depending on which side you're looking at, um, how can we continue 
engagement particularly at the highest levels are you optimistic that we can find a way to insulate engagements or are we entering a situation a world in which that will just be the nature of the dynamics if there is significant competition engagements will have to be canceled or postponed i am not optimistic uh, given the domestic politics in both countries the nature of china's political system and the increasingly toxic nature of the US China relationship so really all three of those factors lead me uh, to be pessimistic that this relationship can be insulated from outside factors certainly the pressure that's coming from uh, republicans in in congress and sometimes even the democrats uh, no president even uh, if we have a president from the republican party or a different democratic president no president is going to want to look weak on china so i think that that is going to be an integral part of presidential thinking when actions are and decisions are made uh, regarding policy toward china then there's domestic politics in china where xi jinping of course would not want to look weak uh, either and the issue of china's political system is very important here as well because as you know uh the we have between our two countries uh communication channels what we call hotlines or the defense telephone link and they can be used at any time anywhere between our our secretary of state or defense or the president or military leaders uh they have been used uh in aircraft uh or at in other countries when senior officials are traveling so we have a lot of flexibility on our side but not on the chinese side and the chinese military for example has to basically get permission from the party before it can have a phone call with a us counterpart um and there is no incentive for anybody to answer a telephone and provide information to a us uh, counterpart so they have to pretty much decide themselves what is uh what the message should be before somebody answers that that phone call so we don't have really reliable crisis communications and uh we don't have really an incentive on both sides i think um to insulate uh the the relationship when these incidents pop up fortunately this incident did not involve the loss of life and i think that that's important and and i know you remember of course the 2001 incident which was far more serious when a chinese fighter jet flew into a us ep3 a surveillance air aircraft the chinese fighter pilot did lose his life and uh the us plane miraculously landed safely in hainan island and then it took weeks to get back the crew and then uh, an even longer period for the plane to be returned in pieces uh, to the united states and if we have that kind of an incident between the us and china we are very badly positioned uh, to manage it given the mutual distrust between uh, the united states and china so i don't think uh, that we can insulate the relationship from things that that occur that are unexpected and i think we should as you say be prepared for more of them to happen going forward thank you very much bonnie for this frank assessment of the state of us china relations as well as your insightful thoughts overall on how this chinese surveillance balloon is impacting us china relations perhaps the upside of these dynamics is that they showcase the need for both sides to pay more attention to crisis management and communications so thank you again bonnie for joining us 
Thanks so much for having me on your China Power podcast, Bonnie.